the hungry. He is filled with good. He proves that over and over. We'll read that this morning from 1 Corinthians 10 and then Exodus 16 and 17. If you could turn to God's Word, 1 Corinthians 10, we'll read verses 1 through 4, page 1137. There's more to this story than we're going to read. God gives them grace, verses 1 through 4, and then he's not pleased with them because they reject that grace. But we'll read that first section where God provides for his people in the wilderness. Page 1137 in your pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ, the spiritual rock that followed them. Let's turn now to Exodus 16 and 17. Israelites have just just been brought out of slavery in Egypt by God's mighty hand. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've already met several miracles. And now another miracle in Exodus 16. They get quail and they get manna. And now we come to the end of that. Exodus 16, verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. Page 69, the people rested on the seventh day after collecting manna for two days. And now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. And our text is 17, verses 1 through 7. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're ready to stone me, almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is God's word. It's good for us. May he bless us by it. People of God, I wonder if you've ever struggled with mood swings. Anybody here know what that is? Mood swing. I bet some of you do. I wonder if you've ever struggled with faith swings. Faith swing. You move from singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound one day, to muttering where is God the next day. One day you're singing great is thy faithfulness, and the next you're complaining God has forgotten you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't even see you. That's what's going on here. They're singing The Lord is my strength and my song on the east bank of the Red Sea. And now just a few days later, you're saying, is the Lord among us or not? Or one day we say to Jesus, crown him and a few hours later, crucify him. Isn't that really our story? Faith swings. It's amazing when you think about it, how the church can move from commitment to unbelief so quickly that there is a church in 2023 here and around the world that's owing only to God's covenant faithfulness and steadfast love. There can be no other explanation. Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. That's the only explanation. And it's all sealed. And the Lord's answer to the question, is the Lord among us or not? Yes, he sent his son. He came down. We see that in Exodus 17. We see that in Bethlehem. We see it at Golgotha. And that's our hope, our Advent hope, our daily hope as the church. Here we meet God's grace for grumblers. First, Israel's complaint, and secondly, God's love, and third, Christ's abundance. Israel's complaint. Look at verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. The Lord's leading them every step through that cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when he moves, that's the command to Israel to move. He's Above them, he's before them, he's with them. 
And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And the people are angry. No, actually, they're livid. Verse 2, they quarreled against Moses. Verse 3, they grumbled against him. And this can sound a little bit mild. Oh, they're having a little fight. They're almost ready to stone him. They're done with Moses, and the journey has just started. The journey to the promised land has just begun. And the whole business is about ready to implode. And the whole church is about ready to be wrecked. Oh, how quickly we spiral downward from crown him to crucify him. From being happy, jubilant, thankful people on the east bank of the Red Sea. Where we read in Exodus 14, they believed in God and in his servant Moses. They believed in them. And now this, with this muttering mess of murder mongers. It's shocking. Four times in quick succession. Exodus 14, 15, 16. They've experienced the Lord's powerful presence. And miraculous wonders. First at the Red Sea, remember the whole camp comes to the Red Sea. They're closed in by water and by mountains and the Egyptians army behind them and Moses puts down the rod and the sea opens up and they go through to the other side on dry land. They say, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. Three days later, Exodus 15, they're thirsty, there's no water. They come to Merah, a river of water, and they rush for it and they start drinking and it's bitter, it's poisonous. It would cause them sickness and death. And they cry out to the Lord and Moses throws a tree into the water and becomes fresh. And then they move on from there a few days and they get to Elam, a place with 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And then they go a few, this is now number four, they go a few days later into the wilderness and there's nothing to eat and the Lord sends quail and he sends manna from heaven to feed them for the next 40 years every day. They are on the front line of the Lord's goodness, seeing his miracles, knowing his presence. And now they're led 30 kilometers further to Rephidim. Now it's a big trip with between one and two million people, perhaps, and cattle. 30 kilometers and there's no water to drink. And we shouldn't minimize the desperation and panic of no water in the desert. The water jugs have run dry. The scouts have found no water anywhere. The children are crying. The cattle are bawling. The adults are frightened. Dehydration takes hours, not days in that climate. They're desperate. What do they do? The elders gather the people together and they say, let's remember how the Lord has provided for us just in the last few days, four times. 
The Lord has given us a mediator named Moses who's faithful to God. Let's go to Moses and ask him to intercede for us and cry out to the Lord for help and let's trust our God to provide us because he has such a good track record of taking care of his people. I wish I could say that's what they did. It's not what happened. You know what happened? It's very scary. I want to focus for a moment on two key words to see what's really going on here. The first word is quarreled. Quarreled. It's used four times in this passage. Look at verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? There it's used twice. And then it's used two times again in the last verse. Look at verse 7. And the, he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Number three is because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And the fourth is the word Meribah, which means the place of quarreling. It's the same word, quarrel, Meribah. Four times. But you know what the word actually means? I think quarreling is very weak. It's a legal term. It's a courtroom word. It means to file a lawsuit. They're pressing charges against Moses and God and bringing them to court. That's what this word quarrel means. Second key word is test. It's used three times. Once in verse two. Why do you quarrel with me, says Moses? Why do you test the Lord? And then two times in verse 7, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The place name was called Massa, which means test. So why do you test the Lord? And in verse 7, they tested the Lord, and then the place was called Massa, which means testing. So this place is named Meribah and Massa after the two main things going on here. Now the word test is another courtroom word. It means to tempt or to try or to put on trial. The word quarrel, they bring charges. They file a covenant lawsuit against God and his servant Moses. The word test means they put him on trial. They bring him to court. They're putting God on trial. That's what's going on. And his representative Moses... And to add to the courtroom drama, the elders have already met and pronounced on Moses, or they're actually meeting and considering it, it sounds like that's more, the official death sentence for an Israelite, stoning. They're almost ready to stone me. They're having a meeting right now considering what sentence to put on me, God's servant, and, and they're talking about stoning and Moses cries out to the Lord. And they really condemn Moses and the Lord on three charges. First, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Number two, verse two, they charge God with not providing, neglecting them. You don't give us anything. You're not taking care of us.
Then next they grumble against Moses, verse 3. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You're a deceiver and a murderer. Remember, through Moses, they're, they're attacking the Lord. They're charging the Lord. God's a deceiver and a murderer. He's just out here to kill us. That's why he brought us out. Wow. Wow. You don't provide for us. You've lied to us and you want to murder us. And then this third charge, they tested or tried the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Verse seven, the charge is he's absent. He's forsaken us. God is gone. He's not kept his promise. He's a covenant breaker. He's unfaithful. That's really what's going on here. By attacking Moses, they want to put God to death. They want to go on their own. Now, brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with asking questions of the Lord and bringing our doubts and fears and worries to him. There's nothing wrong with facing issues like, if God is good, why does he allow evil? It's a good thing to bring before the Lord and to study. If God is real, why does he seem so far away from me right now? That's good to bring that to the Lord. These are questions seeking after God, but not these charges. This is not seeking after God. This is bringing charges against him and declaring him guilty of being unfaithful, unloving, and untruthful. And I wonder if sometimes we move in the same direction in our lives and become grumblers in that sense. The Lord is no good. Get thousands of years of God's track record of being good, of being merciful and gracious and patient and providing. And then something comes and we say, God is no good. I'm kicking him out of my life. I'm putting him to death. God, you're on trial. You're in the dock. I've got something to say to you, God. How does God respond? It's amazing. Let's look secondly at God's love. Moses cries out to the Lord, verse 4, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And what's God's response to this contentious lot of ungrateful rebels who found him guilty and want to murder him? Look at verses 5 and 6. They're the key. The key to this passage, verses 5 and 6. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. The leaders, the elders feature prominently here. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. There are three commands here. First, go take with you some of the elders of Israel. The judges who've sat in court and declared me guilty, 
nor ready to stone you in front of the people. Take them and go in front of the people. And go to the rock at Horeb. Take with you the elders. That's the first command. The second command of Moses, take your rod with which you struck the Nile and turned it into blood and that rod that you used to bring punishment, judgment, plagues, curses on the Egyptians. That rod of divine authority and judgment. Take it with you. And go to that rock in Horeb, a giant rock near Mount Sinai. Horeb's the place where God first appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Go there with your rod. Then comes the amazing part, verse 6. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You're wondering, is the Lord among you? I will stand there on the rock. I'm going to come down myself. Be with you there. Stand on the rock. Now, did he take the form of a bright glory cloud or an angel form? Or maybe he wasn't visible at all. We're not told. We don't know. But I'm going to come. I'm going to stand before you. I'm coming down. Stand on the rock. Now, this could be very bad news. Because sometimes we're... When God appears in a time of rebellion like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, it's to bring fire and burn the rebels or open up the earth and swallow the rebels when God comes. And that's what we deserve. The whole congregation of Israel deserves God's punishment. God to come and condemn and punish us for rejecting his goodness and his real covenant presence among them, among us. That's what we deserve, congregation, for all our sins against Almighty God, for ignoring Him, forgetting Him, for accusing Him, charging Him with wrongdoing, doubting that He is who He says He is. This could be very bad news, but look at the third command. First, take the elders with you, go in front of the people, go to the rock, to take the rod with you. Third, you shall strike the rock. Take your rod. Strike the rock. Do you see what's going on? I'm going to stand on the rock before you. You strike the rock. In other words, strike me with judgment. I'll take the charges. I'll take the guilty verdict and the death sentence of the people. They're coming at me. They're saying to God, crucify him. Take it. I'll take it. I should put it on them, but I won't. You stand with the people, Moses. You represent them, and you strike me. You carry out the death sentence. Hit me with it, says God. Put on me the plagues I should put on them. Destroy me with the destruction that I should put on them. I'll take it. I'll bear the brunt of it. And it's absolutely astounding, shocking. Strike, I'll stand on the rock, you strike the rock. Instead of coming out in judgment on the rebellious people, 
Because God is Moses, or Moses is God's representative, could put the rod the other way, right? Like he did on Egypt, plagues. But he says to Moses, you stand with the elders, with the court that's trying me. And put the rod on me. God himself took on himself their wicked judgments. He submitted himself to the judgment so that people could live. And brothers and sisters, that's what Christmas is all about. We were lost in our sin and rebellion and shaking our fists at God. And he came and he stood in our midst to destroy us. To stand in our place and take the rod, take the stroke of curse, divine curse, that rod of divine authority and judgment. Put that on me. I'll send my son in your flesh. Put him in your place as a covenant breaker. And all the charges that are true of you, but put them on me. I'll stand trial in your place. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what was repeated in fulfillment 1,400 years later, where we put God on trial. We arrested the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into our midst. We arrested him, brought him to court, a hasty trial just like this one. The elders of the people, Sanhedrin, condemned him as worthy of death, sentenced him with crucifixion, execution. And we pierced his side, and out came, flowed blood and water. Out of him will flow water, living water. Here's hope for Israel and for the whole world. God has come among us to stand in our place under the rod of divine judgment for evil people. Your curse is on me. It's on you. But if you trust in Jesus who took the stroke in your place, you will live. And that's what we see thirdly, Christ's abundance. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 looks back at the rock in the wilderness. He said that was a spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. It's a proof of Christ. It's a picture and prophecy of Christ. It's even the real presence of Christ in the wilderness before he came in the flesh, before he came as a baby. There he was. God's presence in their midst to spare them from punishment and supply them with salvation. And once again, the Lord proves them completely wrong in all their charges. You don't provide for us. Give us water to drink. Moses strikes the rock and out comes water. And, and that didn't just happen this time. That kept happening through the wilderness. Listen to Psalm 78. 
God split the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And the second charge, you're a liar and a murderer. You're here to kill us. No, he's your protector and preserver. He took us out of Egypt to spare us, to love us, and keep his promises to us, and bring us safely to the promised land. And now when their life and existence as a church is threatened not only by thirst, but by wickedness, God delivers them from themselves. He provides, he preserves, and most of all, the third charge, is the Lord among us or not? He's absent, he's forsaken us, he's not present. He is present in his grace. I will stand before you on the rock. Come under the rod of divine judgment. Take your curse to make you blessed. Take your condemnation to give you righteousness. Take your death to give you life, abundant life. And that water poured out life on the children of Israel. The streams flowed out and they drank abundantly because it says that Moses did what God told him to do. Though we put him on trial, Though we crucified him, we put him to death. He rescued us and gave us life. Though we hated him, he loved us. Though we killed him, he spared us. That's why there's life for the church today and every day. Because that rock at Jesus Christ, which is the cross now, where he took the judgment for us, is the source of living water for the church's needs from here till we reach the promised land. Out of the judgment that God took for us in the cross of his son, there is abundant life. There's abundant living water, water that wells to eternal life, a fountain that keeps flowing. Grace every day in every situation for every sin and every trial. Grace upon grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, sufficient grace in our weakness, in our wilderness, in our questions, and our complaints. And Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Don't doubt him, drink. Don't accuse him, drink. Come to him for life and help and hope in whatever situation you're in. He has a track record of caring for you. So the next time you have a need, come to him. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is magnified in your weakness. That's his promise. He took the stroke for you to give you abundant life. You say, but my case is too hard for the Lord. Look, look. You need proof. If, if God can take a hard rock and turn it into life-giving water, his grace can do anything for you, the hardest 
thing he can turn into an oasis. Don't say, I have no hope. Don't say, we're too far, far gone for the Lord to heal us. No, don't say, God doesn't see my trouble, he's forgotten me. No, don't say that. It's not true. It's Satan's lie. He provides, he preserves, he's present. And he proved that definitively on the rock at Horeb. When instead of the people taking the rod and dying, God takes the rod and pours out water. He stands among them. But he proves it finally and forever at Bethlehem and Golgotha. He came down and stood among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. Full of grace and truth, John 1. I'm among you as one who serves, said Jesus. Is the Lord among us or not? Absolutely. Meribah shows it. Bethlehem proves it. And Golgotha seals the deal. Jesus took the rod. And those words Meribah and Massa are so important both in the Old and the New Testament. Remember Meribah stands for charges, lawsuit against God. Massa for putting God on trial. The words for the cross. Where Jesus died that we might be satisfied with living water. Brothers and sisters, our Savior is sufficient for you through the whole wilderness of this life until you reach the promised land. Guaranteed. His grace is sufficient for you. What Jesus has done at Meribah Massa at Calvary is enough. Drink from him every day. Keep running to that well of living water. He's got everything you need. All the grace, all the forgiveness, all the strength, all the courage, all the faith, all the devil resistance, all the saying no to sin. Everything. You need. His grace is sufficient for you. Amen. Thank you, Father, for taking the rod, your own rod against yourself at Rephidim. And giving life to your people. Thank you for sending your son in our flesh at Bethlehem. Once again to stand in our midst. And take the rod, the curse, the plagues, the punishment we deserve. So we can have living water. Help us to see by faith. 
your provision, your preservation, and your presence. And rather than committing unbelief, turning away from the Lord, that by faith in every desperate situation and every fear and worry, we would run to the Lord and trust you are good. Your grace is sufficient for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.